0: Hello and welcome to the Old Farm Bus Podcast. This is the Back of the Bus Session. Hello and welcome to the Old Farm Bus Back of the Bus Sessions Podcast. Today I've got a new mate here, He's a mate of a mate of a mate. Owen, thank you for setting this up. I really appreciate it. I've got David Eames. Well, hello. Yeah. You've got a lovely voice, mate. Oh, well, thank you. Have you ever done podcasts before?
1: No, this is absolutely my first time. Literally the first I, one. I am the podcast virgin today. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Popping the cherry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you've never done an audio book or anything? No,
1: listened to quite a few, but yeah, never done one. I
0: feel like we've got discussions to have after this because I want to use your voice mm-hmm. for whatever I can. Okay. And for the website, I think I just want a really nice, smooth. David Eames-themed voice going in the background. Uh, okay. Can I, can I pay you for that, voiceover?
1: Well, I'm always happy to be paid. <laughs>
0: now, David, when Owen came on, which is about three or four guests ago, and I love Owen, yeah. we met because I basically was used in a film for... Do you know Sam Lennox? Yeah. Very good friend of Sam Lennox. Mm-hmm. And when he did a film, years and years and years and years ago, I was Owen's brother in the film. Right. And I was used as the fat kid. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was the, the fat kid that Owen had to bully, uh, hit with a baseball bat, and call horrifying names. Right. So, yeah, that's Owen.
1: <laughs> yeah, he wouldn't be playing the fat kid in those days.
0: <laughs> oh, Owen wasn't. He was my brother, and he was beating me up all the time. Um, have you ever watched that film no. that Owen played? No. I think I've got a copy here, so I'll send it back with you, because... Cool. Them days were probably, again, that feeling of being special. I've never had that before. Mm -hmm. But, oh, I get to take time off school and I get to be in a film. It it was so incredible to me. And they treat because they had to treat me horribly in the film, outside the shots, they were so lovely and proper big brothers to me. Mm. So ever since then, we've become really good friends. And anything Owen says... I've, it just resonates with most things Owen says. Mm-hmm. Resonate with me, the MMA side of things. But then when we get into the mental health talk, mm-hmm. he said he's learned so much from you. And I just, after the podcast, because I listen to him back, I like to sort of see my performance and take note, learn from it. But your name, I noticed, kept coming up quite a lot. Right. So I got in touch with Owen and I said, this David character... Who is he? Because he's a mythical figure to me, but I want to know more about him. Mm -hmm. So could you just take me on a bit of a journey? (laughs) Who you are. Tell us, the audience, what you do now, how long you've been doing that for. And then I want to sort of go into how you got there. Okay. So, yeah. What do you do now and what's your job?
1: Uh, A counsellor, quite simply. Private practice. Um, Now only working online. Used to have an office before COVID hit didn't really believe in online work and that but I found actually it's really good. And uh But do you use Zoom? Yeah, mostly. Some some clients prefer WhatsApp. Mm. Um but Zoom mostly. And I found that it doesn't it doesn't get in the way of the work at all. And also it's much more convenient for clients. Mm. You know, they don't have the travelling to and from the office. Um so I've been doing that now, um, fifteen between 15 and 20 years, I can't remember to be exactly <laughs> that's yeah. incredible. And uh, been doing it full time for um, seven years now. I used to do it part time before. So when I met Owen, ah. I, I was I signed on at Egg the Bank, yeah. For uh, the plan was to be there for a month, and uh, I, th- I'm, I think I was there for nine years. Nine years, yeah. So yeah, I was just gonna just to launch in the private practice, trying to get that underway. And that was just to sort of, you know, pay the bills a bit. Well a, that stood there a bit.
0: A question that popped up there is, um, what's the difference between a counsellor, a therapist, and a psychiatrist?
1: Well, th- counsellor and therapist are a bit interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think of myself as a therapist as well as a counsellor. And I talk to my clients about being in therapy. But there are some people who are very sort of uh, constrained by their theoretical orientation. Mm. And they will insist that therapist is something that only applies to people who've trained in a sort of psychodynamic, like that is kind of a Freudian or post Freudian way. Mm. And psychiatrists are more um, medically based, shall we say?
0: Okay. And you went off your own back, you just decided this is what I want to do. I want to help people conquer their minds <laughs> or or get regain their mind.
1: Well, it kinda of happened accidentally. Um, going back a few years, I was doing a bit of volunteering work in prisons. Wow. Okay. And uh, I was helping to run occasionally a course on restorative justice in prison, and I thought I maybe had a future of 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 of, of working in prison. And I did a uh, a counselling course, a counselling skills course to support that. Right. And then kind of got hooked. Thought, well, this is the thing.
0: You found your flow.
1: Yeah, I just, I just really loved it, and that connecting with people. And i tell you what I really love about the work, is that I've done quite a few things. As, as I just spoke to you before we, we started the, the cast, that, that I'm quite geeky, electronics engineer, working <laughs> in software, stuff like that, which I quite enjoyed, intellectually satisfying work to do, solving puzzles. Mm. But I always knew I could get to a solution, with people not so much.
0: That's um penny dropped moment for me there, because you know when you look at i t mm-hmm. you think their brains work in this very well, they do work in a formula kind of way mm-hmm. an intellectual solving puzzles, mm-hmm. so I always find them very far adrift from being able to help people with their mind mm-hmm. um because you imagine that needs more of a i don't want to say fluffy but wholesome element towards it. Mm-hmm. But you saying there, that's really helped me because Mm -hmm. I can listen to them, piece the jigsaw together and start to work out where they might be missing or going wrong. And I suppose a lot of people that want to help people might be over fluffy and over wholesome and just trying to nurture in nature where it might need that. Let's intellectualize this a little bit. Let's take this. 40,000 step back and look at what you're
1: actually saying Mm. yeah well I feel like I can use my whole self in the work that I do now so it's the emotional connection with people trying to empathize and and feel what they're feeling but at the same time thinking about it being able to point out contradictions sometimes to offer alternative ways of thinking about things I
0: went on a um self-help course recently or um self-development sorry uh in liverpool because i had a guy on this podcast uh paul cope and he's got a book out called how to solve all life's problems mm-hmm. i thought that this guy's a joker mm-hmm. and then i spoke to him and i thought oh hey, you he actually can do it mm-hmm. <laughs> He's he's got an equation he's sorted it out um and paul because we had such a good podcast was he's always done the online stuff But he wants to start doing courses. Mm -hmm. So he did a little trial course with us Mm -hmm. and he invited us along for free, which was really lovely of him. And it was sort of six people. And my ego self felt, oh, I'm going to be there because we had a great connection. So he just wants me to help everyone else, Mm -hmm. give the room nice energy and ask lots of questions what actually happened was me getting my ass handed to me or <laughs> well, seeing all my contradictions in what I'd said uh-huh. and going down this brand new path. But it's opened up so much of these doors for me. I'm the happiest version of myself I've ever been. Uh-huh. And this is only from three weeks ago, but he previously was a, a lawyer. He set up a law firm. Uh-huh. And again, the way that he can go through ancient information and, um, who was th- he did who does the shadows Col Jung
1: uh, the shadow self yeah, yeah. the shadow Carl, self
0: shark yeah. Col Jung I think is basically <laughs>
1: who, who, who is a sexy who was a sexist racist asshole, by the uh, way
0: <laughs> don't worry, we won't go all that. but <laughs> uh, what he's done is just taken an amalgamation mm-hmm. and parts of the good parts hopefully mm. of so many different people and then infuse them into this his own thing um but being able to use that lawyer's brain of um, cross-referencing and finding out the best bits of information and then refuting the bits that don't work, mm-hmm. I think that's what's making him so successful as well and why it works.
1: Yeah. But I think the thing is that as time's gone by, I've tried to do less and less in a way because I realise I can't fix anyone. So the, the intellectual component, the logical part, is only a very small part of it. Right. The real work is done through the relationship. Mm. Okay. And the experience that people are going to have of, of, of having a relationship. See, the therapeutic relationship is unique. There's nothing else like it because it's a relationship that the client can never get wrong. Mm. I often say to my clients that the only person that can make a mistake is me. They cannot get it wrong because I, I, I guarantee to accept them unconditionally. Huh. That makes me sound like a saint. I tell you, I am absolutely not a saint at all. Like on the road, everybody's a knobhead. I can, ob- <laughs> I can objectify with the best of them. Okay, but when people tell you who they are, when they share that with you, when you get to their truth, and you understand where they've come from, the things that have shaped the way they are, then you can't judge people. Mm. And then the work that I do becomes an immense privilege to do. Mm. Because I work with people, most of my clients now are longer-term clients. My longest-term client, we've worked for more than 16 years together. Wow. And it's a, a special kind of relationship. For some clients, it might be just half a dozen sessions, particularly for you know, people at the younger end that more used to change some people have very complex lives and it gets more towards that American model of someone being in therapy and having a therapist as someone to go to that helps that makes life works better so I'm not seeing I'm not seeing the therapeutic process as being reparative or repairing stuff it's transformative mm. and what I'm hoping to do is help people to become their best selves
0: Can mm. can we go into the origin story of you a little then because mm-hmm. The existential, the philosophy, mm-hmm. ph- philosophic. Say it for me. <laughs> philosophy, yeah. philosophical side to your nature. Mm. Did you always take to that? Have you, as a young child, asked the big questions? Had a curious mind and put why to everything? Did the parents get a bit sure up <laughs> <laughs> with you? What were you like as a
1: kid? Uh. A bit annoying, interested, uh, yeah, a bit cocky, sure of myself. Um, I read a Sherlock Holmes story when I was quite young and he was described in that as a polymath. And I thought, I don't know what that word means. I looked it up and he said, that's somebody who knows everything. I thought, that'll do. <laughs>
0: a polymath?
1: A polymath, yeah. I like that, okay. Yeah. And and <laughs> I, I guess I'm interested in stuff and not just, you know, in a narrow confine. So um, I... I Art, literature, science, it's all interesting. Um, The the more time has gone by, the more interested I am in social science and social history Mm. and how people are. I don't think any knowledge is valueless. No. And you don't know when it's going to come in handy either.
0: Somebody said recently, like, when you're having a discussion, always try and find the truth in what they're saying. Mm -hmm. I thought that was quite beautiful. So same with when you're looking at art, music... For yourself, look at the truth in it. Mm -hmm. Look at the part that you can take away with you. So uh, literally any book now, I could read in happiness just trying to find out the nugget and the gem within it.
1: Yeah, so there's no such thing as high culture and low culture. There's just culture. Mm. And it's like a wine. A good wine is one you enjoy. You don't need a critic to tell you it's a good wine. If it tastes good, it's good. That's it. That's the only criteria. And with music or drama or literature and we can call anything literature, mm. that if you like it, it's good.
0: Yeah, that, that's so true. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and people want to tell other people all the time, well, you should like this, you should like that.
0: Well, why? I think that's um, a part of people's problems are comparing to the next and always looking at, well, what do they like? Okay, I'll like that, rather than reaching inside and feeling... This does resonate with me. Mm-hmm. Is that a big part of what you go experience? Yeah,
1: it's um, again. Often people are just busy living their lives, and I try and promote the idea of, of thinking about it a bit more. Mm. You know that that sort of existential approach is about dealing with certain givens that that are inescapable: the yeah. fact of our own mortality, yeah. uh, our our isolation uh, from one another the fact that life is essentially meaningless, the universe doesn't supply us with meaning, and that we have freedom, that we, everything we do, we choose to do. Mm. And those four things mesh together. They're a simplistic way of looking at the world, but it's a way of maybe trying to understand how we operate in the world. So you take, for instance, mortality. It's a scary thing to think about. But having an awareness of it makes us value our lives more. Mm. if we, if you've only got a limited amount of money you're going to be careful how you spend it so
0: use your thoughts wisely because again there's Eckhart Tolle I'm sure you may have heard on your travels he has the book um, Power of Now uh-huh. a lot of people live in the moment it's mm. sort of nice to see painted up places live in the moment mm-hmm. and a lot of Buddhist philosophy trying to empty the mind mm. but you're nuanced in that where you're saying Use your thoughts wisely. Be be able to clock in with yourself, and then when you can ask the right questions and start living on the right path, then your mind starts to free itself. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, well, this is using that, if you like, that understanding of the the purpose of of being in the moment. So it's not just doing it, but knowing why you're doing it. Mm. And so to just, I mean, for me, a, a special thing is my wife and I taking the dog for a walk. Mm. We'll go to Kedleston Park quite often, and we'll just sit on a bench for half an hour, and just feel the place. It's big. Yeah, and the dogs loving it, and then just walking the dogs—not just a chore; it's something the dog enjoys it. I try and see it from the dog's point of view. <laughs> <I love that. laughs> you know.
0: There is a beautiful picture on social media where you've got a man walking a dog, and they've both got mind bubbles coming out, and the man's has got. His money, his job, all these different things going around, yeah. and the dog's mind bubble is just what's in front of it. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, that's really lovely. So, yeah, sometimes just getting into the dog's mindset of what's that thinking about, yeah. it's just, where's the next stick? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited yeah. and just happy to be here.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right. A dog's philosophy could be summed up as, this is brilliant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <It's
0: so true. laughs> I really love dogs, yeah, yeah. and that is why. Yeah. <laughs> they They do put me in that mindset. When I'm with a dog and we're just playing... Yeah. I've joined,
1: it's fun. Yeah. It's
0: like, yeah, you plonker, you should have just been doing this mm. <laughs> as much as you could.
1: But if you've got a dog, then you also have the awareness that they're not going to be around for very long. Mm. So that's a way to enjoy their company even more. So uh, I'm trying to think, it's about 18 years ago now, our old dog, he was a golden retriever, died, he was age 13, and it absolutely broke me. I'm going through a difficult time in my life for various reasons. And he was he was like my main friend mm. and and the loss of him I thought, I cannot go through that again. So we didn't have a dog for twelve years. And then we got a dog and then I realised I've been an idiot for twelve years. Because grief is the price of love.
2: Mm. Oh. Yeah. You
1: can't have love without grief. You lose everything or they lose you. Mm. you know, that's the only way it works.
0: So you're living in fear. Of not having to go through that again, and as soon as you navigate to living in a fear-based side of your nature, mm-hmm. you're always going to be on the wrong track. Yeah, and live through love.
1: Yeah, you, you, everything you have that's of value, then there's a there's a risk of losing it. Yes. Sometimes there's a certainty of losing it. Yeah. Wow. But, but where does the value come from? So you know, there are a lot of people that can get quite cut off. They don't. They struggle to. There's a, something called an avoid avoidant attachment style where people really don't want to get too close in relationships and if it gets close, it feels dangerous for them. Mm. So they pull back, but they're missing out on so much mm. because if you take the risk away, you take the reward away too.
0: I, I think we're fine now. Podcast done. That was all <laughs> I needed to hear. That was stunning. <laughs> Mate, the, I'm enjoying this. This mm-hmm. is how I operate and these conversations... I love powerful pieces of truth, and I make snippets, and that's definitely going to be one. Mm-hmm. Why are humans so complex? You, you can take us in the whole evolution of the brain, if you must. <laughs> the Stone Age <laughs> oh, theory. Yeah, yeah. 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 It don't <laughs> give me a hard time. Do, <laughs> do, do you know much about the brain's development um, and why we become overthinkers and detached from our animalistic nature?
1: Well, we are detached from it, but we're not. If we, if we say we're detached from that animal nature, actually we're in denial about it. Mm. So anyone who claims to be a rational person is delusional. Mm. We are never rational. Nothing we do is rational. Because the whole thing, uh, I mean, I listened to a podcast recently, a guy who was a physicist who used to write for Star Trek The Next Generation. And he talked about the character data in that, He's an android who says he's got no emotions at all and all he wants to do is be more human. Well, the very fact of wanting to be more human is an emotion. Yes. So there's a basic contradiction in the character, because if he was truly unemotional, he'd just sit there waiting to be told what to do. Hmm. So emotion drives so work that's been done with people who've suffered brain injuries where they've they've lost the ability to feel emotion. You'd think they'd become hyper-rational, decisive people. The opposite of the case, they're paralysed. They can't decide what to have for breakfast. Because how do you choose? Without the emotional weight of something, how do you choose anything? Hmm. And everything we do is irrational. So you watch TV. Unless it's educational, if it's a drama, why would you do that? Not eating anything beyond kibble. Spending money on, on... <laughs> on on tasty foods. Why would you do that? Mm. Having a drink of alcohol. Why would you poison yourself? Well, it's fun, but fun is irrational. So here's an idea: that the pursuit of pleasure is a rational thing to say you want to do, but the pleasure itself is irrational. It's emotional. Mm. Now, our brains. I mean, the the most complex thing we know of in the universe. Okay, but they have developed in a continuous evolutionary process and the previous versions weren't demolished and they started anew so we've got all that old lizard stuff at the back there
0: what's that called
1: well i mean you've got you know the the limbic system yeah. and 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 those the, you know the the hind brain and the midbrain, and then you've got the cortex on top which is the more developed type but a lot of that other stuff is still running the show a lot of the time it drives a lot of our anxieties and a lot of our behavior, yeah. and reasonably so. So there's a, our fear detection systems, and this drives a lot of anxiety, they, they work on the basis of overriding your conscious decision-making process. So those people in Africa 100,000 years ago, if there's a lion prying around, if they're having to think about what they're going to do next, they are not your ancestors. Mm. Your ancestors ran away mm. or picked up a spear and fought back without thinking about it because their animal nature drove them. Now, that sort of thing still works on our brains today, but it's not necessarily appropriate in a modern urban setting. Mm. And so if we've felt anxiety in a particular situation in the past, then our brain thinks, well, there might have been a danger there. I'd better be ready for danger again. So I'm going to fire up the response system of fight or flight. Uh,
0: so, it's a big part of our problems we're trying to repress this side of our brain as much as, as soon as it's doing it. It's natural move away from that situation, and it's sort of telling you the signals of what you need to be doing. Mm-hmm. We're trying to rationalize it all the time and fight against it.
1: Yeah, and if we're in denial about it, then we're not able to get any control over it at all. So a lot of new, uh, you know, quite a few neuroscientists nowadays would argue that there's no such thing as free will.
0: I've heard this discussion being...
1: Yeah, they talk about something called the, like the cognitive narrator who's basically looking at our instinctive behaviour then coming up with a, a story to explain it. Wow. It's like you've got a commentator there in the background but it's not actually running the show. Wow. And some of the time that's definitely true. You know, you must have experiences of you've done something you which you absolutely didn't want to do or not done something that you did want to do. Maybe there's a task that you know, keeps hanging about and you you find yourself, you've always forgotten to do it. Hmm. Although it needs to do, it's because your brain kind of switches it off because there's something else you'd rather do instead. Hmm. Something called present bias, for instance. So something that gives you pleasure in the present rather than in the future, you're more likely to do.
0: See, one thing I've implemented in my life at the minute is I've given myself loads of different characters Mm -hmm. and I've named each of these characters. And... The way we've gone through it is I've needed these needs to be met. These are sort of natural needs, which Mm. is control situation, variability of situations, Mm. feeling of being special, Mm. and love and connection. Mm -hmm. And one character that you mentioned then that's always... This is how I sort of understand it anyway. Um, I've got Billy, Silly Billy, and I always... That's my uh, catastrophe character here, <laughs> but sometimes I forget things. Mm-hmm. Um, more often than not, and my job being a filmmaker, if I can forget one thing, that can the that's the end of the day. Yep. Um, and one job, I went to Chatsworth House, and I was filming um, an Olympian horse rider, mm-hmm. Billy Big Bollocks. I've got I've got my thing together, and then. I unpacked everything, didn't take the SD cards with me, All right, but it's fine, <laughs> didn't take the SD cards, and I beat myself up, all- <laughs> you're having a boxing match I'm over sorry. there, I'm I beat myself up all the time mm-hmm. about this part of my character, but he's actually getting these needs met, this character, so it's not my genuine self, but... Did I actually want the job?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Did I really want to be there filming an Olympian horse rider, or would I really want to be filming a music video for a rapper or whatever speaks my language? Mm. So, although yes, I'm going, I want to sort of please my mom and say yes, I'll come and do all da 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 da. But the fact that I didn't reach for those SD cards in the moment mm. actually showed me something about myself
2: mm-hmm.
0: and lost me the job. Mm-hmm that I just told myself I wanted, Uh but my true, genuine nature. So something in that of what you were saying there I was learning from, and there's some
1: genuine truth there. Yeah, that may well be the case, but you might have also just forgotten.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I can intellectualize things very much. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I do feel many times when I've been in situations and panicked and beat myself up because I forgot a certain thing when I've really reached inside and thought about the job at hand, I don't think my true self was there. Hmm. I think hmm. I'd put myself in them positions because of the validation of, you're really good at this. So I thought, oh, I'll go do that then. Yeah. It's not who I really am. It's not real. what I really want to be.
1: Yeah, we can sabotage ourselves all the time. Yes. And, and there's that thing about whether there really are separate selves. So you mentioned Carl Jung earlier. The one thing that he promoted was the idea of the persona that, He argued that there was no such thing as the core self, that we were just the different actors' masks Mm. that we wear in different roles. Mm. I don't really agree with that. I don't agree with that. Although we do play differently in different situations.
0: See, I'll just explain this one a bit more, is you have all these different characters. I think I've wrote down like 40 now, Mm -hmm. but they've all ended up meeting my needs in unhealthy ways and I, at one stage in my life, hated them. But now I fall in love with them because I'm like, actually, you were just trying to get these needs met. What I'm going to do is pick apart and take away all them needs and all them parts of you that were trying and then feed them back to my authentic self. So forgetful Mikey Mm -hmm. was trying to live in the moment. He was trying to just be happy, go lucky and do that. Okay, Mm -hmm. that's beautiful side of that person's nature. Mm -hmm. But the forgetful element... I just need to nurture a bit more and help. So I have brought him back and then I'm finding so much about myself through this sort of NLP, I suppose it is, mm-hmm. or it's just a di- a different approach
2: mm-hmm.
0: and it, it's completely shaped all the, what do I actually want mm-hmm. in my life now? Because I'm going back and thinking of all the situations I put myself, even the buses to an extent and, mm-hmm going into schools and doing talks and everything I've realigned and and an unhealthy side of my nature is being met there Mm -hmm. but it doesn't just have to be eradicated Mm. it's just sitting back and going okay what do you like and what don't you like about it and feeding back into that Mm -hmm. it's been a crazy destination but yeah from that Carl Young I went to a men's talk recently and there was lots of it that I didn't it didn't suit me mm-hmm. but i think some of the ideas and elements are in this new practice mm-hmm. do you have a sort of a niche in your practice is it
1: what do you mean by a niche
0: a niche being have you taken away from all different practices on your timeline that mm-hmm. you've learned from all the different books philosophies religions maybe and then you'd honed into this is seemed to be what works best
1: um I, the approach I have technically called is an integrative approach. So there are three broad schools of, of therapeutic counselling. So you've got the psychodynamic, which is all about the unconscious mind and things like that. Then there's the humanistic approach, uh, which is more about um, non-interventionist in a way, all about the emotional content, the here and now. Um, not really making any sort of suggestions apart from just containing. And then there's the cognitive approach, cognitive uh, behavioral therapy, which is more about like computer programming. Mm. Well, I think they're like different schools of painting. You know, you want to compare a, a Rembrandt to a Picasso mm. to a David Hockney. When you say which one's better, it's a matter of taste. Mm. And they're different ways of expressing things, different ways of exploring what it is to be human. Mm. And I think that no one theory contains the complexity of humanity. And different theories at times are going to have different resonances with different people. Yes. So from, for some people, it's all about the emotional context. For others, it's about the intellectual understanding. So I feel I have to sort of shape my approach depending on what's working. Yes. And that sort of knowledge and, uh, and experience can come from all sorts of sources. So... Uh, scientific information what what neuroscience is 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 finding out these days that's just as useful as as grand theories came up with by Sigmund Freud. Mm. It was wrong in many things but let's not, you know, let's not dis, uh, discount the enormous influence that he had on the whole idea of talking therapy mm. as a way of uh, but he thought, you know, that he could think of something and that would become true. Mm. But they also, the idea that everything has to be evidence-based, now that's a bit tricky too because everybody's different. So how do you really compare one person to another? So I think therapy is more art than science.
0: Oh, that's stunning. Mm-hmm. That, that hit me in a nice spot there. <laughs> therapy is more art than science. Yeah. I like the saying, what works, works too. Mm. And taking it even to nutrition, there's always this sort of online fad and plan, mm. and it goes, if you eat this, 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 and this, you will become this.
2: Mm.
0: The complexities of the gut, mm. and the complexities of how we digest, operate with different foods, mm. tolerances, intolerance, it, it, it's all to be taken into account. Mm. And I do worry when people say this size fits all. I think as somebody said recently, one size fits one.
1: Yeah.
2: And I thought,
0: oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, can, I can work with that. Yeah. But what works,
1: works. Yeah, so try and find, look at people in a holistic way. So, sleep is something I work with quite a lot because you find quite a lot of people have got problems with sleep. So, so working with different ways of managing their sleep can have a huge impact. It's the single biggest factor in a sense of well being or people's work environment. You know, some of my clients have got very complex business arrangements they've got a lot of politics going on in the office so we might be spending most of our sessions on office politics mm. but that's what they need to feel to feel they've got some control in their lives mm. other people it's about parenting you know like most mothers that you work with feel that they seem to feel that they're failing in some ways as mothers whereas most dads think they're great dads i don't know where that difference comes from mm. but i think it's about the expectations placed on women which are unfair and they place it on themselves
0: Then we're getting into another part of the conversation, isn't it? Sort of societal issues. Yeah,
1: but then it's about, you know, working with, you know, with someone. Hey, being a good enough mother is good enough, Mm. as as, has been argued. And and don't, you know, not to worry about it.
0: I think that word that you said then, enough, Mm. is one of the biggest factors of mental health. Mm. And I genuinely believe most of our problems stem from not feeling enough. Yeah mikey sat down in his boxes playing xbox had always been screamed at and shouted and needed to know that isn't enough Mm -hmm. so every time i'm procrastinating quote unquote now i have a huge anxiety in my stomach even when i know it doesn't belong because i've done what i needed to do in the day. I find it really hard to get away from there because this feeling of not being enough just creeps at me
1: all the time. Okay, but again, who who decides that? Me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, So yeah, <laughs> so you know, I I love gaming. You know, Owen, the way we, the reason we've stayed in touch over the years is Friday night. It was originally Xbox, now on the PlayStation. No, can I join? <laughs> well, we can interview you for it. Yeah. I like that. It's a high bar. I can imagine it is. He spends
0: a lot of time on it, so I can only picture the levels you play at now. But but I enjoy
1: gaming, and I see it an emergent art form these days. You know, A really good storied game is... And it's not a waste of time, because mm. I choose to do it and enjoy it. I'm the only person that gets to decide that.
0: Yeah, and it, that's, again... Stems from not feeling enough, but then another uh, sector or part of our problems Mm -hmm. come from. You've got to take all the responsibility. Every there's sort of a up to eighteen, you're excused Mm -hmm. because you're you're developing, you're a child, and you've been given all these sort of problems. Mm -hmm. But at some point, you have to go. Every single problem I'm facing in my life now. Is how I've internalized it, mm-hmm. and how I've digested it, and allowed it to sit, and I've not I've avoided or I've not approached it. Mm-hmm. So it's all you then, mm-hmm. and that's a big pill to swallow, isn't it? Mm, yeah,
1: that it's yours to take. Yeah. Well, the other side of existential freedom—that idea that we only ever do things that we choose—means that we're also responsible for our actions. Yes. When, when, people first started talking about the idea of well, people can do whatever they like, so, well, that's a recipe for chaos. How is society ever going to work if people can do whatever they like? Well, if they're responsible for the outcome, then surely they're going to behave better rather than saying, oh, somebody made me do it.
3: Mm.
0: I'm I, sure there's a, a Simpsons episode for everything, isn't there? Yeah. But there's definitely one on this. <laughs> yeah,
1: and, and it's about that, that choice that you make. And it, The other thing is good mental health. is not about always feeling good. Yes. It's... Because oh, you that's, want, that's good. You want to be anxious. Like if I'm driving on a motorway and it's raining and it's busy and I can't see, I want to be scared.
0: Yeah, just do do do. do, do. I want to keep my
1: family safe. <laughs> yes. You know, everything I hold dear might be in that car.
0: May, I, can I just say, Owen, oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm <laughs> really, really happy at the minute. Now this is so helpful, and I, I really appreciate this.
1: Yeah, so last night I had a bit of trouble sleeping. Um, you know, the popping my cherry here today. And it was uh, nervous mm. excitement, yeah. But that's okay. But I didn't see that was being defective. It's normal. Mm. If you're doing something, if people are going for an interview or an exam. Whenever I meet a new client, I'm nervous because I want to get it right. But that's okay. Mm. Anxiety is part of being human. We don't want to eliminate it.
0: My, I work for a company called Independent Thinking, mm-hmm. and they're the fish that swim the other way in education. Mm-hmm. And um, the guy that set up the company is called Ian Gilbert. Uh-huh. He's got a book out called The Book of Thunks, and it's philosophy for children. Mm-hmm. So, questions like, What colour's Tuesday? Mm-hmm. And it makes them think laterally instead of just, Here's a question, what's the answer? Mm-hmm. They've all got their own little unique answers. Uh-huh. But the best advice he's ever given me when I used to get scared about performing and speaking was nerves are the respect that you pay the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought, yeah, I, I, do you know what? That's beautiful because I care. I want what I'm saying next to be the best experience for them that I can give and yeah. deliver, because they are going off into their schools and different places yeah. with this at hand. So if I don't care ever and get on a stage, I won't put on a performance, and then the energy is not going to be there. Nothing happens next. Yeah, if the
1: adrenaline's not flowing, you're going to be boring. Yeah. Definitely, and yeah, I've, I've, or, or, I've had... or Donald Trump, you know.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. don't want to do that. No. <laughs> you don't want to
1: go Donald on him. No, <laughs> no. So you you use you, you use that. It's part and it's, it's part of your animal nature, and it's preparing you to do better. Can it's your we, friend.
0: Can we go back to there? Because I know I, the way my brain works is very sporadic, mm-hmm. and I just get so excited by little snippets of conversation you're saying, I dive Mm -hmm. and then I'll take us all the way over here. That's come. This is what podcasts are for me though. Sort of questions and answers. They've Mm. got a format, Mm. but it doesn't suit me. I love the the beauty and confusing nature of a pub talk.
1: (laughs) Well, that's that's how my counseling sessions work. Really? Because it goes where it goes. There's no plan.
0: Mate, that's, yeah, that's how my heart works. Mm. Um, but going back into that animal brain,
1: mm-hmm.
0: we we got to a certain part of it and sort of free will discussion. Mm-hmm. I want to talk more about the animal brain mm-hmm. and the brain in general of the development because you are right that there are elements where you do have to start rationalizing though. Mm-hmm. Um, our sexual nature or mm-hmm. so on, you know, we'd have a rape culture if Mm. we just did anything and acted in any way we like and the animal brain and testosterone just got to run the ship so where would you go with that what's your part of how you help people rationalize
1: what the animal brain wants to
0: do all the time
1: well i guess if you're aware of it it doesn't have to be running the show Mm. this is the whole thing about the only chance of being rational is accepting our fundamental irrational nature
0: say that again so the only
1: way we can be rational is by understanding that we are fundamentally irrational lovely yeah because then you're asking yourself okay what's really going on for me here Mm. so somebody might have said something that's upset you you think okay where's that come from what was their intention why is that provoking that response in me and often it's about things in the past it might be connected to things in our past It might be something that's threatening us, and it's a fight-or-flight response that's being elucidated. Mm. But it's the more we understand our emotional nature, and again, modern neuroscience is advancing this. The traditional view of of more complex emotions, not the basic fight-flight ones, but more complex emotions, was that they were located in specific brain areas, and that everyone had them, and you'd either choose to express it or suppress it. But... The neuroscience nowadays is showing that, that that complex emotions are a whole brain activity, and they are a learnt behaviour. Okay. Ah, okay. So the degree of of uh, emotional content that a child's exposed to will affect how they can express their emotions in later life. Mm. And there's something called granularity, which is the degree of detail of emotion that someone can express. Wow. So, if you've been exposed to a more complex emotional environment, I don't mean an abusive one, but just one, people who are able to express themselves, then the children get a better chance to learn it. Wow. Doesn't mean it can't be learnt later. And there's all sorts of things that can teach it, like drama is a great thing for teaching emotion.
0: I, w- I would just side now. I want to put a drama class on this bus because I love drama. And I mm. did it as a kid mm. and then just stopped. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I did that film with Owen and so on. Mm-hmm and that was because of my drama days, but I think drama is so important in development Mm. and how to feel emotions, showcase emotions, even when it's contrived and you've got to act it, it's sort of that fake it to make it, and you're learning about all these different emotions. I've got a daughter, and I can't wait for her to start drama classes,
1: honestly. Literature is a way of finding it, just having a relationship with other people. The more authentic we can be, the more we're going to learn. But there's no normal. Okay, that's another key thing. Key, yeah. It's you know the the modern word and I think it's a great word is neurodiversity.
0: Neurodiversity. Yeah. I can put the two together and make an idea <laughs> yeah. extrapolate. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, you know, you 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 don't talk about, you know, someone being abnormal, say if 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 they're on the autistic spectrum. It's just different.
0: Different. Yeah. yeah.
1: I remember there was a program on some time ago of Chris Packham, the naturalist, talking about uh, his his uh, autism. I don't know if he's Asperger's or autism, got, but certainly on the spectrum. He said he doesn't want to be cured, yeah, but, because he wouldn't be him anymore. Yeah. So why not? Let's just accept people and not saying. I mean, there's a modern tendency to talk about disorders, personality disorders, this, that, and the other, and I think that's driven from America. Mm. whereas the insurance companies won't pay out unless you can diagnose something. Rather than just saying, hey, somebody's having a bit of a struggle here, let's try and do better.
0: Here's a question that's bubbling and blossoming from everything you said. Mm. (laughs) Do you think the system, and not to go conspiratorial, or go wherever you want with it, is it deployed and built and set up in this very rigid parameter for a reason?
1: Um, What do you mean by that? So
0: the education system, for example, and then on and on and on. Mm -hmm. If you play up, misbehave, Mm -hmm. act differently to how the system wants you to operate Mm -hmm. in quite small, rigid boxes, Mm -hmm. then you're bad. And then this feeling of not being enough starts to bloom because you get keep getting put in different spaces and you don't belong here, you don't belong. And then I I just wonder, the ones that suit the system go into this school, you know how to be asked questions, regurgitate the information, that's how we operate, and then you go on and then you fit as a perfect citizen.
1: Mm -hmm. I just wonder, is it deployed... No, I don't think there's. I don't think there's any sort of overarching sort just of just sort of plan a byproduct. It's, it's, it's so this cha- is how we've it, set it up. It's chaotic. Mm. Nobody knows anything, and they're just doing the best. Now, I think education is a lot better than it used to be. I agree. Uh, you know, I've I've had uh, some teachers as clients over the years, and see how really difficult the work has been, and the demands put on these days. I think is almost impossible, mm. and the striving within. See the whole thing is you want to measure things, but by whenever you try and measure something, it changes it hmm. there's a There's a sort of rule in statistics that once a statistic becomes a target, it ceases to be a statistic because hmm. the very putting a target on it changes the behavior hmm. but I think i mean my old school reports were always you know David could do better he's easily distracted. It never said, "Oh, David's getting bored by you, you know, yeah. Not- yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> never never thought about that aspect of it it was yeah. all down i mean many of the things that i've learned over the years you know doing software electronics i was largely self taught i'm much better at teaching myself than other people teaching me i like to learn i like to explore that's my mm. learning method mm. that's really hard to to work in a school environment particularly back in the days when I used to be caned on a regular basis. Mm,
0: okay, I bet you would as well, because you'd ask questions, and they don't like that often. <laughs> they do now. Yeah, I mean, I was like, you know, they
1: <laughs> thought I was some kind of mafia boss, but I was just a bit, <laughs> a bit challenging. And, yeah, I, I was, you know, a friend of
0: um, Martin Ealingworth, who I go into schools with, he's got a book called Forget School, mm-hmm. very much about what we've been talking about today. He uses this method where... Is is at a school. We made a film together, and there's a kid, and it's not behaving badly, and not behaving really good. Is just one of those kids which happens to a lot where it's very passive experience, and they're mm-hmm. just there, mm-hmm. and they don't know what's in it for them. And then there's a pivotal moment in the story where the head teacher sees this kid's won a fishing competition with his granddad, mm-hmm. and then what they start to do is take that bit of passion and then tell all the different teachers in all the different fields, right. and they use that passion in all of what they're doing, so the art teacher gets him to start drawing fish, mm. the science teacher looks at the biology of fishes, and you can go into the history of that and everything, mm-hmm. and it's taking that individual character mm-hmm. and using their thing, their hook, to, to negate their whole life, mm. and I think that's very special, and again, it does turn it into that the individual, mm. what does that need, but... Imagine that in a system—it's very tricky. Though I don't speak in absolutes because I've worked in schools. We run a night here, mm-hmm. and it's blooming hard. Mm. It's really tricky to all the different behavioural needs and yeah. differences of emotions and so on. They're yeah. hard to conduct, but that is a—it's a beautiful premise. Mm-hmm. Taking them as an individual again.
1: Yeah, but you know there are limited resources. Yes. And, uh, you know, you work within the constraints of that. And the whole system is always, you know, run by human beings. And human beings are fallible in everything Mm, they do.
0: Flawed. Yeah. We're all just flawed. We're we're working from our best. But I I suppose that's where I was thinking, is is it's a top-down structure, Mm. isn't it? Mm. And then it's just been sort of set up to fail for a certain subsector of people because it doesn't feed that machine of of making money, which Mm. is what our system, I feel, is been built on and that doesn't feel conspiratorial to me Mm -hmm. it just seems it's like occam's razor it's you say it so it makes quite a lot of sense well
1: there's a a basic assumption isn't that kids need to get a good education and the assumption of that is that so they can earn more money and that that's the only objective of education that's kind of the society that we live in Mm. and yeah more money makes life easier Mm. but again enough is enough
0: It's very much living we spoke about past and we're always living from our past Mm. but the future too Mm. we're just living in a future so the system being set up when you go here you do well here so that you can go here Mm. and then when you do well here you do that so that you can go here and then when you get that job eventually because you've got to that uni Mm. you're always trying to hit a quota and trying to work your way towards something Mm. and then at the end of it you go i feel no different yeah
1: yeah i know you know, I get a number of clients who approach me in sort of midlife saying, "I've done everything I'm supposed to do, so why doesn't it feel better?" Ah, uh. yeah, I've got, I've got, I've got, I've got the 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 car and the house and the wife and the kids. Mm. So why why doesn't why don't I like it? Mm. What does it mean? It's that back to the meaninglessness thing that, that that the universe doesn't supply meaning. It's up to us to find it.
0: Wow too many snippets in this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Can we just jump back in as well about the emotions? Mm. You mentioned two different types of emotions. Could Mm. you just, uh, for the audience, talk about the basic
1: ones? Well, you know, the basic stuff is is fight or flight, the things that keep you safe and also maybe get you laid, uh, because uh, that's one of the basic ones.
0: So we've got sort of anger, love, fear grief uh, yeah is love a
1: basic emotion i'm not sure that it is i think it's more complex than that
0: mm. love love is probably our strongest emotion uh, well is it mm, I, well this is a statement i've just thrown out i can explore it it's the most
1: important one i think and it's the most uh, enjoyable one when it works but it's going to be overridden sometimes mm. by, by fear.
0: I'm, the, what I'm going off now is a video I watched. It was two minutes, done by a nice Australian accent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it gave me uh, five natural emotions. Uh-huh. And it was all about learning these emotions, feeling them instead of repressing them, because it had the natural ones. And if left repressed, uh-huh. they turn unnatural. So fear turned to panic mm. if left repressed. Grief turned to depression, Mm -hmm. if left repressed. Um, Anger turned to rage. Mm -hmm. Love turned to possessiveness in this video. And I can't remember. There was a fifth. I'll I'll think of the fifth, and then I'll pop in. Shame. Would that be one? It didn't mention shame. No, it was anger, fear, love, grief. Oh, envy. Okay. Okay. So envy, a natural emotion, makes us want to do well um, and look at the next person and go, oh, I like that thing, but if left repressed, it turns to jealousy, which comes really toxic and tries to drag them down. So that was, on this video, five natural emotions, and made me sort of clock in with myself and go, have I felt these emotions correctly when I've not grieved properly? Am I feeling depressed because of that? And sort of go back in line with it. But yeah, what... Do you know differently of these natural emotions? It is just fight and flight?
1: Well, I think that it's... Uh, because I've said that they're learnt, much of our emotional context, I think sort of sticking labels on things, again, it gets a bit tricky. Yeah. And and trying to categorise things in, in that way feels a little bit oversimplistic. Yes. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, envy can drive different things. It might drive ambition as well. And that whole idea about whether things are... Are repressed or not mm. is maybe you know not held not held up by the the latest scientific knowledge, yeah that uh, maybe people don't have the emotions in the same way and feel them in it, in the same way interesting so you know it's just like asking somebody rather than telling somebody you know this is what you feel, I want to ask them what they feel and if 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 they've had a not been exposed to complex emotions much in the past often the response is i don't know
0: yes it's a big response
1: yeah and i know i feel something but i don't know what it is I can't put a word to it can't articulate it and we need to we need to have the sort of experience to know what these emotions are and to put words to them but i'm not in the business of telling anybody what they should be feeling mm. and but i say the well, that's why I see the most basic ones are those that are there to keep us safe or to procreate.
3: How do
0: you help people feel though? Because we tell people you need to feel our emotions, or um, we need to live in the moment, and people put labels and thoughts and ideas out there. Mm-hmm. But then it's just, well, how do I do that though? How well, do I?
1: Well, I can't do anything. That's mm. the whole thing. I can't do anything. But I help to create an environment where my clients can do it for themselves. Right. So that experience of being able to talk about stuff, without being judged, allows that development to take place. The experience of that relationship allows that to to happen. It's almost like you. I'm not. I'm not. It's a difficult thing about whether people are actually undergoing change. I think I like to think of it in terms of it's getting rid of the brambles that restrain. The real authentic self mm. so allowing people to become who they always had the potential to be mm. now it's not me changing them, it's about them undergoing their own change in their own way, mm. and what I'm doing is not dragging them forward on that, but walking alongside them on that journey mm. and that that's such a privilege you know there are moments where clients have these moments of realization. Of, of of the change that's taken place for them and how their life is being transformed by that. Mm. And it's such a moment to share. And I feel sometimes so proud of them. Mm. Not of me, of yeah. them. You know, well, you've really come from there. And it's just what a moment to share with people. I'll the w- the work I do is such a privilege because I see people in, in extreme emotional states sometimes. Which the, the ordinary life you don't experience very often, and it's just a privilege to be there, and that emotion can be positive as well as negative, mm. but the feeling of it helps people to feel more in the future and get more understanding of it.
0: Mm. I mean, this might when you because you're having such long friendships or relationships with your clients, mm. does it become tricky when you've been with them for so long, and Maybe in your being able to have a forty thousand foot view of what they're talking about, you kind of want to say it's this, but you're having to let them discover it for themselves.
1: No, I no, don't. No, it's not always letting them discover it for themselves. Sometimes I, you know, point things out. I can be quite challenging. If there are inconsistencies, I'll point them out, and uh, I think challenge is a big part of the work. But again, it's that recognizing that the challenge is is not a rejection and it's not a judgment. It's just hey, this doesn't make sense. Mm. Sometimes it's about putting the pieces together and saying, oh, this seems to be like that thing that happened to you that time. Do you think there's a connection here between those events?
0: That for me is when I know that I've hit a better trajectory with my life Mm -hmm. because challenges before used to really rile me up and now I'm buzzing every time somebody says something that makes me reflect back on myself. Mm -hmm. I'm like... Oh, keep doing that thing, (laughs) Mm. because I'm learning from this. Mm. And it's so powerful. As painful as it can feel, it's where the truth lies. Mm -hmm. It's where you need to go
1: Mm. into that pain when you're in this struggle. Yeah, and because I don't know anything, I might be wrong, and that's okay. Yes. You know some things.
0: <laughs> yeah, but, but but
1: how it applies to a, pati- a particular person at a particular time yeah. could be completely wrong. No, that's, that is true. So did, get... let's put it out there and it's something to talk about. And yes. It might take us to nearer to the truth.
0: Well, and that, that is it because that truth there, if somebody can really be able to refute and say, no, this is why this isn't correct and no, the, but that isn't that and it can help them get further affirmed to their answer, mm-hmm. that's powerful too. So it's just putting stuff out there that may be of truth and then suddenly when you start to I think when you notice it is when anger starts to come to the forefront mm. it's not that it's not that you go it might be that <laughs> <laughs> it's a real blockage up
1: yeah I, I think in, in the end what what does the work is authenticity yes and that above all that's the most important thing for me is wanting to be authentic with people
0: and I, not to go to any depths that you don't wish to go to, but was there any, in your own timeline and journey, where mastering this or just changing the direction of your life became really important to you, focusing in on the mind?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I've been through various disasters in my life, a financial disaster, uh, health problems, um, I was uh, sort of diagnosed with a potentially terminal illness some years ago, which recovered from. Brilliant. Uh, that we learn a lot from pain. I learn nothing from good times. I wish I did. <laughs> All I learn is how to be a bigger dick.
0: <laughs> well. I laughed because it's true. Because yeah. that's me as well.
1: Yeah, pain. Pain is the best teacher. And um, yeah, during the process of of my own therapy of uh, of. Um, of working towards becoming a therapist realizing the issues I had with with abandonment now I always felt I was reasonably secure but I was adopted at the age of six weeks and I didn't I thought I'd always known I was adopted I'd never felt I had a problem with it it was never an issue yeah my parents chose me you know I wasn't foisted on them through nature and I was absolutely cool with that But I came to realize that if ever I felt that I was being left out of something excluded anyway, I could have a really quite violent reaction to that, get really angry with it, and um, concluded in the end that that it was about that rupture at the age of six weeks. Now, subsequent to that realization, I I was able to get my birth records, which showed that I'd actually spent the first six weeks of my life with my birth mother in a mother and baby home. in West Ham, so yeah, I'm actually a Cockney by birth. <laughs> at the same time, I also discovered I was half Irish. I didn't know that for. I phoned one of my mates up, and he said, "Well, that explains everything."
0: Yeah. Like, oh. So <laughs> the wildness begins. <laughs> yeah.
1: But it's But uh, I realised, you know, that was a fundamental rupture that happened to me at the age of six weeks. And yet, when I when I when I joined my parents. I was like adopted by a whole village because because my mother had lost two children in childbirth, and it's like the whole village that she lived in—a small community next to a mining community. Their parents were both miners, and that they, the whole village wanted them, you know, to for it to work. So I was kind of adopted by everyone. Wow! So I, got, I went to a really warm environment there. So I they had this mix of, of of of. Uh, uh, Issues with abandonment, but at the same time being emotionally secure. So the abandonment could just kick in sometimes and then it was quite destructive for me.
0: Mm. Confusing.
1: Yeah. And it's you know, something to work through. There's there's always stuff to work through. You know, we're never a finished article. Mm. Trying to understand who you are in the world.
0: Have you had any recent moments of penny drops or breakthroughs?
1: Um it's um trying to reframing is a key skill i see increasingly there of of how do you how do you see things in a better way if you can think about things in a way which feels better kind of why wouldn't you yeah but i'm not talking about positive thinking as a everything's good all the time because it isn't life is sometimes terrible yes and if it's good now it's going to get worse yeah. But if it's bad now, it may well get better. But in 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 February um, of 2020, just before the first lockdown kicked in, my wife had a double mastectomy. She'd been d- diagnosed with cancer over the Christmas period. And we think that was really lucky. Because if she'd not had a scan and it hadn't been found
0: perspective
1: she'd have been dead by wow. now because either it wasn't found, wouldn't be found in time or if it would be found that it would have been in the middle of the lockdown and all that crap that was going on there so the timing and everything was perfect hmm. and you know that's that's a something that's been a, a major event in life recently but how do you see it in a way hmm. which is more positive wow. can you can you view it in that way
0: so somebody came on recently and he's, he works for Alcoholics Anonymous, mm-hmm. which I'm nuanced towards. If it works, it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm happy that he's stopped drinking and there's certain elements that I'm not 100% sold on. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the nice things he said is uh, alcoholism is a disease of perception. Mm-hmm. And I think the same for mental health. It's a disease of perception. It's the way you look at things. And that yeah. quote if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And um, what you've just beautifully articulated then is you manage to find the beauty in the situation. Mm-hmm. And that's really important for people to when you've had the worst possible part of your existence happen, because your worst day is your worst day. Mm-hmm. Everyone's got different thresholds. Mm-hmm. But if you can look at that and take out parts of it, how... how awesome can your life actually be from there
1: yeah yeah you know how do you yeah. find that what how do you find the value in every day and
0: always try and balance with it mm. even the the most incredible thing to ever happen what's it teaching you find yeah. the lessons within
1: it yeah and and accept the reality yes of life. again that looking at the terribleness of life yes there's you know that thing of the sort of ancient was it ancient persian wisdom where the guy asked his uh His wise men to give him a a phrase that were true under all circumstances and they went away and thought and they came back with this too shall pass. Mm. And that is always true. Whether it's good or bad, it will pass.
2: Mm.
0: I always like to take quotes because I I do poetry and lyricism Mm. and there's ones where I always try and change them slightly or play with it and could that be said in a better way? Mm. But that, this too shall pass Mm -hmm. and be the change you want to see is another one. Mm-hmm. I think they just suit that they, they, they've been taken out and chunked down to the best optimal way of saying something mm-hmm. that they're, they're the ones that I always stand to. Do yeah. you have any sort of sayings uh, that you really go towards? There's a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: Them. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, there's another one I always say is, uh, you're not who you think you are. You're who you think they think you are. <laughs>
1: Well, that's, that's a risk a lot of the time, is that people are, are pushing their own fears into other people's heads. Mm. So their perception of what other people are thinking about them isn't actually what other people are thinking about them.
0: Stories we tell ourselves.
1: There's a thing called the spotlight effect, which I work on quite a bit. It's quite helpful when people have got trouble with public speaking.
0: Oh, come on. <laughs> Where, <laughs>
1: for each one of us, the universe is divided into the universe and us. You know, there's us and there's everything else. And we're sitting there at the center of the universe, under a spotlight, completely illuminated, everything visible. And we think, well, everybody else can see that. You know, if I'm going to go and do public speaking and I'm nervous, everybody's going to see that and they're going to see my fear. But they don't because they're all dazzled by their own spotlight.
3: Mm. They're Mm. all
1: sitting in their own universes. And research has been done is that people don't actually notice much what's going on with other people.
0: I uh, did a talk which very ironically was at a happiness festival. Mm-hmm. Be happy! <laughs> and it was one stage with a thousand people all face to the front. And it was in my very strange sort of, I've told you about before the podcast, psychosis days, paranoia. Mm. I was still hurtling myself into situations all the time and just saying yes to stuff when actually what I probably needed, oh, it worked. So its I got to where I got to. But uh, I went up on this um, slot and I had 15 minutes to talk and within two, I went into a flashback. Mm -hmm. So from my psychedelic days and so on, I was straight there and everyone started morphing and looking a certain way. And really what they saw, because I did get through it and the organiser said, oh, it was great. But in my head afterwards, I beat myself up for months because I thought they were watching me sweat, they were watching me panic and all the things that I was seeing visually happen in front of me, the hallucination and so on. I imagine they'd all witnessed it. But really, they just saw a guy just probably having sweaty hands Mm. and a bit of a sweaty head and looking around a bit dazed. Mm. And that's about it. Yeah. But I, I saw it in a completely different light for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. It's wild. Yeah. So what, I, I think this is a nice saying as well, what actually happened. Mm, and the yeah. emphasis on actually, because we tell ourselves massive stories about this and this and this and that, you break it down and it's very far from other people's perceptions. Yeah. Can we take a break? Yes, of course.
1: I I really need a pee. Yeah,
0: no worries. <laughs> of course we can. It's the cold.
1: You can, you can edit that, can't mate.
0: You? That, of course I can. Yeah, keep we're, we're rolling. I'm a I'm Steven Spielberg. <laughs> One
2: semester later.
0: So we we're talking about stories that we tell ourselves yeah. until pit stop. <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: Another thing that I wanted to mention from that is, if you're in a family. And you're seeing somebody that's going through mental health. Mm-hmm. What is the best advice you could give to them? Because you see it really rips through families. But is there an element where you have to want to change?
1: Well, there's no, there's no gag of uh, how many therapists does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but the light bulb has to really want to change. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: Perfect. <laughs>
1: but... I don't give advice because advice isn't part of my game. Right. Because what the hell do I know?
0: Mm. If, if people come to you though, um, from say family and they're going through a struggle, yeah. do you go through experience rather than advice?
1: Yeah, I mean, I make suggestions. Yes. There's a key thing here. Yeah. Because I mean, there are some approaches to therapy uh, are, are very non interventionist, okay, and they're just going to sit and listen. And I've um, worked with clients who've experienced that, and that's not always what suits them. For some people it can be great. They just want someone to sound off to. The old psychodynamic approach is something called the tabula rasa, which is the blank slate. And the therapist there would just sit and take notes and let the, the free association of the client maybe bring things out. I don't think people want that. They not the people who approach me at any rate. Mm. And I might make suggestions, but I could be wrong. And it's up to them what they do with it. So with regard to family, yeah, we can talk about things. But often it's about how people think about things one thing else. So if you want to improve your relationships, improve yourself.
0: Yes, every time. Any, any part of your life. you, know? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you just constantly looking, looking, yeah. looking. What is it about me that I'm experiencing, really? Because when you're projecting out onto other people, yeah. they're doing this, they're doing that. Yeah, but they did that. What is it within you, though, mm. that's hitting a wall with this? Yeah. And why can't you change your direction towards it
1: yeah. and your way of dealing with that situation? Yeah, I mean, it, there's a, one group of clients that I probably can't work with, and that's people who are very narcissistic, typically men. Yeah. The, the, the typical example of this is going to be some guy that rocks up. He's come because his wife has asked him to get th- told him he must get therapy, and what he wants from me... Is to give him some magic formula to sort his wife out.
2: <laughs>
0: it's just funny because men are <laughs> dicks
2: sometimes. <laughs> yeah, <aren't
0: they? laughs> yeah, absolutely. What
1: do you mean sometimes? Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> All the time. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but uh, and my answer is, you know, do, you know, let's let's talk about you. Can and after we... a couple of sessions, they don't come back
3: mm, because
1: mm. they are not the problem. Yeah. Well. you you know we're always the problem in a way because it if it's not what we're doing or how we are it's how we're thinking about it
0: so so there's oh it's it's kind of nuanced but i sort of thought of an answer in my head but i want you to go what about when you're dealing with that wife though and you think oh my they'll get annoyed at hearing what my problems are through me but i've got a narcissistic husband or abusive husband or somebody that's built me into this spot but is it still for them to inward search and go yeah but why are you in this situation
1: well in in as much as if they're the person in front of me they're the only person i can have any effect on yes and sometimes that may might be questioning are they in the right relationship sometimes it's about transitioning into couples work because i do couples work as well and that might be more appropriate i've got a few
0: a this conversation because there's so many questions <laughs> let's go to this one um and you really helped spark that men and women mm-hmm. is it important to look at the differences and look at the the difference literally of the chemicals in our bodies how we operate how we think is it cat and dog
1: no it isn't
0: it isn't very very similar
1: how could I work with clients on an empathic basis who are not the same gender as myself, mm. or or cultural background, or age? So you know, I work with people from from age sixteen up until their eighties, mm. and we can relate. Work with people who are um, any kind of gender assignment you want, and we can relate. Mm. They tell me who we are. And we're humans together. Yes, of course there are differences, but what makes us human is greater than what separates us. Mm. And I find that that people have similar anxieties. There might be different things triggering it, but they're expressed in a similar way. And okay, there are there are certainly cultural effects. So, in my experience, that it's you know life is 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 tougher for women because. The, it's not necessarily confidence is the wrong thing, but uh, society puts a different e- expectation on them. Gee, they might have grown up in an environment where the girls going to nursery would be given nurses' uniforms and the boys would be given doctors' coats. That uh, research has been done where where um, mothers had their babies were given a task to crawl, crawl up a slope and asked to assess how well the baby would do. Consistently, assessed that the boys would do better than the girls and they don't mm. but there's that basic, basic assumption there which is kind of shared by women as well because of the culture I think that they've grown up in mm. which denigrates women has done for years it's less so now but it's still there a lot of the time
0: is it that when you say there are differences though is it important to take them into account in your practice so For example I did a podcast recently um with a woman about menopause mm-hmm. And I had no clue, vision, mm-hmm. as a man. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is no education there mm-hmm. um, about menopause. And she was so angry by the system for this because mm-hmm. she, when it was happening, it destroyed a marriage, it destroyed so many elements of her life. Even the, her children mm-hmm. looked at it in a different way from it. She got the uh, hormone replacement therapy,
2: mm-hmm.
0: completely changed her life around yeah. because of this. Mm-hmm. But she even said to me, I had the male testosterone mm-hmm. and now I get your horny bastards. <laughs> yeah. That was all she felt. So she went, oh, that's what you were going through. Yeah. i would lived bi- biological life as a woman thinking I was horny. And then I went and had male testosterone. And now I see what horny means. Mm. So that was an interesting thought where I was like, OK, well, that that. That's, intru- that's helpful, yeah. um, that you've had a male testosterone mm. and thought in a different way.
1: Yeah, well, it, you know, the, the women have been um, denigrated for, for a long time about, oh, you know, she's on a period now, or it's the menopause, and, oh, you know, it's just hormonal behaviour. Without anybody talking about the damage that testosterone has done, mm. terrible male behaviour driven by testosterone. Yeah. You know, how many women are killed in this country? Each month, numbers of women are killed. Worry about getting abducted on the streets. It's the people they live with. The men they live with are most dangerous, statistically Mm. speaking. And it's testosterone that's doing that.
0: And, you know, then you never excuse it by going, well, men have more testosterone, so they want to fight, they want to kill, they want to have sex. But... How do you balance that in understanding it to overcome
2: it?
1: Well, again, it's about asking people how it feels, so not making the assumption that you know because someone's on the menopause that they're going to be a particular way. I want to ask them how they feel about it and talk through that so it can have, and we, we all get this we get we get strong emotional responses to things, but it's not necessarily a response to the situation in front of us. Hmm. It's either it may be a hormone that's doing it or it might be part of our history. It's reminding us of something in the past and triggering some memory. Mm. And so it's about asking questions about, okay, what's really going on for me here? What does the evidence show? How likely is that to happen? What's the worst that can happen? You know, they're good questions to ask.
0: Remind me some of those questions, good ones to ask.
1: Well, how likely is the thing that I fear to happen? Yeah. What's the evidence show? What's the worst that can happen?
0: Mm, they are good questions and, to ask.
1: And what's really going on for me here? That's that's a central one to it. It's like, well, I'm anxious in this situation. Okay, what's this about? And, oh, I know. It reminds me of that time at school when that when that teacher humiliated me in front of the class. Hmm. I got up, I got, uh, you know, I, I stood up to read a passage and there's a word that I couldn't pronounce. and Now I'm struggling with the public speaking because so it reminds me of that occasion.
3: Hmm.
0: You've hit a snag in me there. I just (laughs) remembered about that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, that was a horrible task to do at school. Mm. Everybody has to read a certain part. And then because I've been labelled from primary school, you're dyslexic, I'd succumb to, oh, I can't read. Mm. So then when the teacher sort of bullied me, in Mm. essence, of every time we had a reading task, this will help him. If I just make him constantly do it, he's only going to get better. Yeah. But there was a time I must've been in year eight or nine. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't do get myself through school eventually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but it was the history teacher and I threw the book at him. I threw a table over and then started trying to smash a wall.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, because that's avoiding the, the, the shame and that translates into anger and, and it, you, you have a feeling that's too powerful to contain mm. and it bursts out and it's like a flamethrower blasting everything in front of you.
2: Wow. You know, people with
1: dyslexia often find that they develop a personality of hiding away, of not of avoiding these situations that might lead to humiliation. Mm. But at the same time, it can be a really real spur. Some of my economically most successful clients have had quite severe dyslexia. Mm-hmm. And it's a desire, you know fuels a desire in a way to prove themselves in the world.
0: we we'll go to labels. In this podcast, there's been a bit of discussion of if they're healthy or not.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Where, where is your take on it?
1: They can help. Yeah. Some of them, like PTSD is one that really helps. You know, people are able to say, oh, yeah, I'm not going mad then. This is the thing. Yeah. That's where it can be really helpful. To admit that someone has got depression given that that is a whole spectrum of things, can be helpful. Okay, then how can we work about that? So accepting a problem, but at the same time, help labels can be really unhelpful. So I worked with a client for some time who'd got quite severe schizophrenia. Now, therapy can't help or can't cure schizophrenia. Probably nothing can. Drugs can help. But the thing is, having the schizophrenia, every problem in life was being labelled as being caused by that so okay you're feeling a bit paranoid at the moment oh that's because of schizophrenia well no that's because human beings often feel paranoid in these situations and 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 the progress I made with that client who then was able to move on to have a full-time job Mm. and functioning in society well was about not everything is about the schizophrenia so you described yourself earlier about being dyslexic well I wouldn't want to use that word I want to say you have dyslexia Mm. Because it becomes one-dimensional. You know, a schizophrenic is not is different from someone who has schizophrenia. Mm. A so dyslexic they're a they're attached to it. Yeah, is that. Oh, that's all they are. Yes. And it's not. It's just one aspect of self.
0: Hmm. And then you can find a healthy way of seeing dyslexia on its own too. Mm. You could see it as this sort of fearful base. Oh, you can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. Mm. Or what can it do for you? Mm. Could you see it as a superpower? Yeah. Does it make you think of things differently? Are you very creative? Mm. Does it open up doors for you? Yeah. And even with those labels that we attach to ourselves, separating ourselves from them and then turning them into superpowers mm. is quite powerful. Mm. I've found mm. throughout the time. Um, do, do you then try and steer away from clients using labels?
1: Not necessarily. No. Again, it's that, no, I must say I'm say I really wish you what you hear. No, it's not. Just, at all I get was that exactly what what, you're saying. It's just whatever works for them. I'm trying to come at it from the point of view of I don't know anything.
0: Mm, I th- it's it's really. I fully understand what you're saying when you say that it's nothing you said's wishy-washy yeah
1: and if it helps a label then let's use that
0: everything you've said's made total sense Mm -hmm. in all its order Mm -hmm. because you're you're just trying to help guide them Mm -hmm. and be that voice of either reason uh either rationale or turn on and question Mm -hmm. but it's for them to search inside and find their own way with it Mm -hmm. was um you've done it for 15 plus years Mm -hmm. counseling was there a certain client not to disclose anything but was there somebody ever that you were working with that you were stumped with and then it uh, when you found out how to work with that person it opened up a new part of your oh this is what i can start doing now have you changed through time in your practice I think
1: it's constantly changing. I think I, changing. I feel I learn from every client that I have, but I guess the arc has being doing less,
0: always doing less. Yeah, letting them discover, yeah. discover.
1: When you do, when you do the original training, it's all about, and it's it's necessary because you want people to be able to work safely. So there are certain constraints on how you should work, and exhibiting skills like you know summarising things and and mirroring body language and 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 just showing that well actually just show it just be it that's the thing i've talked to you before about the authenticity it's not about showing that you're authentic it's just being authentic mm. because you can't you know you can't fake it
2: yeah
0: comes across very quickly doesn't it yeah
1: you know this the old gag it's all about sincerity because if you can fake that you've got it made <laughs> <laughs> I bet you've got all the old gags in, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well I'm an old bloke. <laughs>
0: what about um with the clients that you've been working with for so long? Mm-hmm. Is there a balance of being reliant on you? Because surely there's only so much energy, um, and time that you can give mm-hmm. How do you find that fine tuning of no, this is the cut off point and this is what my boundaries are and what I need?
1: Well, again, it's, it's part of the respecting what the clients want is that I mean, it's exceptional for, for that length of time that you know that uh, i you know recently finished with, with a client after five sessions and that did what they needed to do. <laughs> it, it's just it's not up to me to tell them I'm done with you now, right? It's just if it still works for them. Basically, it's over when you're talking about the weather.
0: Mm, You know, when
1: you feel you've had, you know, a few sessions and you're not really talking about anything psychological.
0: But you still would tell them it's over or not? No, it's
1: something I'd raise, you know. Hey, how do you feel about this? Do you feel we...
0: I see. You know? Because sometimes they just feel, well, I don't want to lose you because you've been such a powerful part of my life and big energy towards it. I don't feel I can live on without you quote but, unquote but i think
1: that's that's that tends to not be the case because part of the arc that we've been in is a yeah. self-realization
0: yeah and and that is probably an end discovery is i don't really need anybody to
1: operate
2: yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, and for some clients it's okay we'll have a, have a sessions and then and then again they might come back again when something's happening in life
2: but I,
0: you as a counselor um Do you still, because we're flawed humans, when you're dealing with so many arrays of problems or um, dysfunctions and so on, can you detach quite well then to when you go home and you want to game with Owen or be Mm. with the family and how you are, Mm. have you managed to switch off? Yeah. You can, (laughs) it's brilliant.
1: Yeah, it's um, the very first client I had when I was on placement had been abused multiple times. And uh, on an almost daily basis. Mm. And um think well, you know, well welcome to the game. And it, that changed things. I remember driving home from the first time I've been told by a client who suffered abuse, driving past a school. You know how many of those kids here are going through that? And there's a kind of loss of innocence to encountering that, of realising that the world can be a terrible place for some people. And at the same time, realizing that my own life has been by very far from terrible. Mm. You know, that the positive thing that you get from dealing with clients who are going through stuff is that my life's not so bad. Mm. And the fact that I feel that I can help, I believe I can help them, means that I can, I can sort of contain that pain. I almost see it like circling around a, a whirlpool, a whirlpool of pain. But not diving into it. Okay. So I'm as close as I can be, yeah. but feel safe. Mm. And it's about separating my stuff from their stuff. I have supervision on a regular basis. I've been using the same supervisor for 16, 17 years now. Nice. And we've got a long relationship now. And it's, we don't often talk about clients very much, but just peripherally. We'll just talk and talk about therapy in general or life in general. So that's kind of like my ongoing... It's partly therapy, partly supervision. Mm. It is a requirement that, that if you're in this business to have regular supervision. And sometimes there's a client that... Something's come up that I feel I need to talk about. I mean, once or twice I've traumatised him without any preparation, telling him something absolutely terrible I've been told. Oh, wow. And he's been going, whoa, hang on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I should have given you a bit of warning there about what I was going to say. So
0: The... Um... Nurturing nature Mm -hmm. and does that pop up quite a lot in discussion Mm -hmm. because imagining you're born this supercomputer Mm -hmm. you're being constantly programmed with stuff Mm -hmm. filled in by the communities you've got very close circles or maybe not and then further and broadens out yeah. Is there a genetic part to play as well? Sort of, what was Hitler? <laughs> Did he just have bad people around him, or was he always destined to be in that certain way? Not that you know Hitler, but that, yeah. that, I hope he, that sort of feeds the question.
1: He was kind to children and animals, but he wasn't all bad. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. Like, Don't no. worry, I won't
0: snip that bit I, out. But I know where you're at. <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm not making case for him, but there yeah. are again, it's that there are reasons why people get to be where they are. So there are really no evil people.
0: Do you believe that? Is that?
1: Yeah, there are people who do so evil things sort of, or um, good things or indifferent things.
0: There's not a predisposition in any part of our brains that can be born to be bad, quote-unquote.
1: No, all babies are innocent, aren't they? Mm. And that's what, you know, dealing with, with, if you like, difficult behaviours, it's look back to, well, where does it all start from?
0: Uh, I t- I've told uh, this story once before, but I did quite a lot of traveling
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the, uh, I just need, need to say this in this part because it was my biggest teaching moment on my own accord. And uh, I lived in South Africa for a year. Um, I lived in Pretoria predominantly, but then I started just going up and down the coast mm-hmm. and I went to a, a really small town, tiny mm-hmm. place, mm-hmm. but they had an art exhibition on, but it was interactive in the whole of the town and this is sort of my um argument when they were dragging down statues Mm -hmm. of recent i said about this story because it gave me my biggest lesson and in this uh small town in south africa there were statues being put up for a period of time but there was nelson mandela Mm -hmm. and then as i started walking around Adolf Hitler, mm-hmm. and I was like, I don't know if I like this town anymore. I'm, I'm getting a bit nervous. Mm-hmm. And then um, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Stalin, the huge figures of time,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and they were all over the place. Yeah. But as I look, started looking around, they're actually all facing one another, mm-hmm. and they're all having a, a stare off.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I thought I'd go and have a look and into them, and each plaque said the exact same thing on it. And it said, the line between good and evil runs through every human heart. Mm-hmm. And then as they were all, Hitler was staring down Martin Luther King, and so they they're all just in this moment together, mm. the line between good and evil runs through every human heart. And that was like, wow, mm. that's powerful.
1: Yeah, so if somebody's behaving in a particular way, is thinking, well, what might lead me to that? So really, you it's um, nurture. Well, no, not necessarily. Okay, okay. <laughs> it's, un- it's unpickable. So you get really complex behaviours in the animal world. An example I-, I-, I like to use is the cuckoo. That A cuckoo, it finds itself, when it comes out of the egg, in the nest of a different species of bird. If there are other nestlings in there that that bird's had, it might kick them out mm. so it can have the best time. <laughs> and then when it comes to mate, it will not go and look for that bird that's parented it. It will go and look for another cuckoo. And then you know they'll lay an egg in another bird's nest. But that can never can not have been taught. It's a really complex behaviour, mm. genetically programmed. So how many of our behaviours are genetically programmed? It's kind of unknowable because we labour under this illusion of free will some of the time. Huh. So it's a question I kind of leave begging because yeah, it's unanswerable. Impossible. Yeah. But, oh. but nurture certainly has an effect so yes that children who are badly treated you know are going to struggle in some ways and sometimes that's going to result in them badly treating others
0: you, you give me a really nice moment there i thought about the nurture and nature question uh-huh. but yeah in terms of nature and human nature mm. so hard to pick apart that especially to the complex place that we're at now and how we think yeah. to just look at the innocence of a baby and watch it grow without being programmed in some way or form, you Mm. can't find that answer, can you? No, you
1: can't. And sometimes, you know, major events that are not inside parents' controls can have effect. Mm. And we don't know, you know, that often you have clients that will talk about some seminal event in their childhood and none of the parents or family can remember it, but it meant a lot to them.
0: Mm. It's a huge huge one to me. Uh, And again, it was in that same period of six weeks or younger had quite a traumatic birth that I didn't know about, mm-hmm. um, but there was a girl uh, at this therapy course we're on, and she mentioned uh, we had to do a task on what people might think of us, and she put a chubby or chunky, and it was just a impulsive reaction for everybody there. All laughed. They didn't mean to, but they were like, "You,
2: mm-hmm.
0: what?" But then it, I turned it on to myself somehow. So I took that, but fat has always been a huge thing in my life because I was bullied heavily from it Mm -hmm. and built up a really bad resentment towards the word and the term fat Mm -hmm. but then I sort of just left it there it must be from when I was bullied that's it fat bad there you go Mm -hmm. but actually when I was talking about it I was saying yeah but isn't it good to have a, a feeling so you you want to be healthy though and i kept mentioning health i was like what about health and if i just eat, eat, eat i won't be healthy mm-hmm. it's like why do you keep mentioning health and then as i took that i was like oh i don't why do i want to be healthy so bad mm-hmm. so i jumped from there and i looked on my timeline and i not really had much in the the very very small period mm-hmm. so i went home and I said mom was I ill as a kid or anything? Did I have a traumatic birth or anything there? She's like, mm, yeah. I had an appendicitis when I was only a month old or so. Mm-hmm. And I was in the hospital attached to drips and so on for a few weeks mm. and so on. And I was always being sick. Yeah. And it, it's honestly, I, I was always going to the gym and looking in the mirror and seeing myself with a bit of chunk or whatever. But now, just from that moment where... It's, I've healed a part of myself there looking back at it. Oh, that makes sense. Why I had such a fear base from it. Mm-hmm. My perception of myself's changed. Mm-hmm. I don't feel worried about even how I look at all. Mm-hmm. I I've go to a new gym now, it's got a little spa to it. Mm-hmm. And I look in the mirror and I just have a glance, like, I'm fine, and mm-hmm. walk on. Mm-hmm. And it was instead of just going from this bullying element, mm-hmm. I went even further back in the timeline and further back. And when I rummaged in there, that was a powerful truth that helped me change my thinking. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's get to where you need to go.
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah, and it's all about the only place is now. Yes. Yeah, we want to think about the future a bit, but not too much because it's all going to end in the same place. Mm. Mm. You know, a client some recently was quite helped by, uh, by a throwaway remark I made at the end of the session and I say, well, why worry? We're all going to die anyway. And and that really, really helped her over you know, a subsequent week. You know, once she's feeling down about stuff, well, it doesn't matter. None of it matters. We're all going to die. Does, is that
0: one that helps you?
1: Uh, sometimes. Or sometimes, you know, well, I've got to die of something.
0: Mm.
1: But, you know, life, life is short. But like I say I like to think about that. You know, look, today will be a good day to die. I'm enjoying this right now. Mm. If I go right now, I'll be okay. I've got to go sometime. Yeah acceptance of it you know, that's the key
0: is that something that because that's a um something we all share is life and death mm. and everything in between is a bit of a dance but the, the the death factor is that one that you eventually with all clients get down to is there a fear towards the... well, it,
1: it becomes part of it you know i think yeah. it's something to talk about because it's something we avoid in our modern society
0: it's you know, it's i heard a rap song recently, I listened to jazz jazz rap though and there's always conscious lyricism Mm -hmm. but somebody, I can't remember it to the exact but it was how much can a a man alive teach me about death Mm -hmm. and that sort of sunk in with me, I thought oh yeah, they're just trying to extrapolate and take from the ancients and the philosophers but how much can they teach you Mm -hmm. and that hit me quite hard Mm -hmm. I thought about that, so how do you sort of prep somebody and educate somebody towards that part? And
1: it's death outrageous, isn't it? It's absolutely outrageous that <laughs> I'm the world's going to get by without me. No, I'm not going to find the end of the story. It's, it's outrageous. Huh. People go and see a doctor and they might get a diagnosis. What I'm going to die? Well, yeah, you always were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But until you get that, you know, moment, unless you just fall off the perch spontaneously sometimes, you know, people not engaging with it.
0: For some of the conversations you've had, not even with clients, but friends, and when it comes to death, which I've not had massive conversations towards, but I used, I knew I really feared it, mm-hmm. and now I'm come into a light of no it's really helped having a daughter actually mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that that sort of sets things for you doesn't it it's continuity oh i don't have to think of me anymore mm-hmm. <laughs> feed it in yeah i do have to think of me mm-hmm. but um with death what are some of the feelings that emerge is it either the unknown is it the pain it might be a really painful experience to go through well, how will
1: my body know what to do at the time Well, all all of the above and more, I think. Yeah, I think it's just the ending. Uh, I had, you know, big problems with with um, death anxiety, which largely dispersed when I reached the age of sixty, because I never expected to. Mm. So it all feels like a bonus now. (laughs) (laughs) um, Really? Yeah. I mean, you know, my father died when he was fifty-five, and I thought. Getting near that age was difficult. I thought, you know, I can't live longer than my dad. (laughs) And and when I went past that, I thought, wow. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
3: Everything's
0: just on top for me. (laughs) 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 That's really good. I like that. And it feels
1: weird now to be eight years older than my father ever was. Mm. Um, It's just, you know, it's an unknown world. But But
0: but Is is that an element that is hard to
1: help people prep towards? Well again it's not necessarily about prepping towards it unless somebody is facing it imminently but I think it's that how to live authentically is using it as one of those existential givens okay so we are mortal okay so how am I going to use that positively and that is to value today so I sometimes use the image of just imagine that all the money you were ever going to have was put in one box of treasure but you couldn't open it up, you had to feel inside it, and you never knew when the last coin was coming out. Huh. Would you spend it more wisely, do you think? Because you could never earn any more. Definitely. And life's a little bit like that. You know, we make this assumption, we're going to live to this age or that age, but you never know. Hmm. You just, you just never know. So today... It's a good settler, isn't it? Today is important. And then... The other givens there about isolation, we're we're each trapped within the confines of our own school. How much can we really know someone else? But those moments when we can really connect with someone, when we can transcend that, when we can bridge that gap, Mm. then how much more value does that have? And then that feeds to the the meaninglessness of life. Well, there's real meaning in that, isn't it, when we connect with someone else. And the choices that we make can affect all that. So you see the four... Those four givens, they all work together in a way. Mm. And it allows us to get more out of life.
0: <laughs> and that's what
1: we want. <laughs> yeah. Because because if you can make life feel better, then why wouldn't you? Yes. It's a simple question. Why would... If you can feel better about stuff, why wouldn't you? So optimism is not that life's all going to be good. It no. isn't. Optimism, sustainable optimism, is I'll get through it. Hmm that like whatever life throws at me, I'm going to get through it. And that's one thing about being ancient, as I am now, teaches that you get through shit. Yeah.
0: Because, again, that sort of saying age is just a number, there's balance in that. Mm. What age does give you is more time on the planet to have more experiences. Yeah. And if you're somebody that's wise to learn from experiences... Mm thus you're going to have more wisdom eventually from those yeah. experiences you've had. Yeah,
1: but age doesn't necessarily grant wisdom. wisdom. So someone might, might just learn bitterness and isolation from, from yes, time.
0: Yes, exactly. So they're not lessons being learnt, though. Yeah, so They're just living through.
1: Yeah, but often I find, you know, with, with younger people, let's say, you know, people in their, their teens, they can have this thing that, that my life is now ruined. And the thing I try and convey there, that life's a longer game. And there's always time for the game to turn around. Mm. I didn't really figure out what I wanted to do with my life until I was in my forties. Mm. There've been things I've been doing, but I didn't feel out find out what was really important until I was in my forties. And they, the other thing with younger people, they used to change, so they're often easier to fix mm. and are um, more more open to change. I've got a lot of faith in young people. I think they get a lot of bad press. We're dicks. Uh, I, I, I'm not. You're not a young person. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: yeah, 27. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting yeah. old man. Oh now.
0: God, ouch. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: but the thing about you know the, the teenagers, people up yeah. to up, you know, 21 and below, they're great in whatever my experience of them. Yeah. And, and you know, people talk about snowflakes and wokeness and stuff like that. Well, okay, maybe things go a bit far sometimes, and people get a bit over enthusiastic. But the idea of trying to be nicer to people, it's not a bad one, is
0: it? That's how I've seen that movement, Mm. quote unquote, is it's all generated from a nice place, a good part of the hearts. It just, I've seen it again, deployed or showcased in a really toxic side of nature's. Yeah. Which can happen to anybody. When I'm trying to, with my partner, Mm -hmm. I I love you. (laughs) But then I'm being angry towards it. Mm. Coming from a real loving place, Mm. but it's I've not learnt to channel these parts of my emotions. I have now. (laughs) Struggling (laughs) struggling
1: to accept others can be a problem. And people also look for simple answers to complex problems. Yeah. And sometimes there are no answers. Sometimes, you know, there's the least worst is our best option Mm. sometimes in relationships the only choice we've got is to not make things worse because we can't make things better if the person that we're with is really struggling with something
0: suppose the thing with the woke and the snowflake one is it's we had this discussion just before the podcast started I think but it's where we need to be right and there's no other option Mm -hmm. and it's this absolute black and white Mm. And I said to you, I listened to a podcast recently, and it was that start trying to wear your opinions like your clothes rather than your skin. Mm -hmm. And if you can open up and listen to the truth in what somebody's saying, Mm -hmm. there might not be such a vehement, virtue-signaling approach to it. And it's, listen, Jordan Peterson, Joe Rogan, whoever, Mm -hmm. I hear what you're saying, I see what you're trying to conduct, but I don't think it's helpful. Mm -hmm. And they could do it in that sort of manner mm-hmm. whereas they're like no i am this team you are that team mm. we must attack and yeah. that's where i feel it's gone a little bit south and
1: sour yeah i mean a scientific approach to thinking is quite useful the idea that there is no absolute truth that we know we have just got the best approximation of it at the moment mm. and that science advances by disproving things not by proving things it's where they where the facts no longer fit the theory Mm. that's when you make advances. And we should be open to doing that, testing our thoughts and our beliefs. Hang on. Where does... I mean, I I had a strong Christian belief in the past and that it became unsustainable. But a lot of that was based experientially on some very powerful spiritual experiences I had. And I said at the time that either it was true or I was delusional. Mm. And it was quite hard to come... To the conclusion that I was delusional, mm. because I was very good at arguing for it, and with myself. Yeah. But it was a particular place I was in at the time. I was struggling, really vulnerable. It gave me some support. I don't want to argue anyone else out of it because I envy it. I kind of <laughs> miss it. Yeah. But I couldn't sustain it. Mm. And shifting that belief is is quite a hard thing to do. To say, hang on, that thing which I was really keen for. And I'm an intelligent bloke, I believe, and I can argue for stuff. And I was completely wrong. Mm. It's quite a hard thing to say.
0: But it's nice when you've indoctrinated yourself with a belief pattern or Mm. a belief system to find different ways of expressing it. And when you're in groups of people to articulate it and be sort of propped up as this voice... Mm -hmm. It feels nice, doesn't it, to you? So mm. it's the ego sort of inflaming, and oh, I found a thing, and then I can understand why people hold on to that thing then, mm. because it's so exciting when you're meeting new people to say your little spiel that you know you can do really well.
1: Yeah, and you get gain status from it. Yes, you're a know, member of the group. You know, you and initiate. You have the truth together.
0: And I think, yeah, there's small little pockets of society now that you see propping up is i've learned a thing to say i've learned i had it when i lived in australia as well i worked for a charity and they just give you a script and this is how we talk to people Mm -hmm. like how contrived is that Mm -hmm. but eventually after you get the idea of it you can spout it and it Doesn't feel quite authentic, Mm -hmm. but it feels exciting. Mm -hmm. I know how to play with this now and manipulate, in essence, somebody in front of me. Mm -hmm. And that's what people often are trying to do is Mm. just manipulate them to think the way you think.
1: Yeah, but how about, you know, we move towards a world where we're just letting people be themselves. Yeah. Being okay with that.
0: That's the best way for me to, <laughs> <laughs> that, that that is any conversations I'm trying to have at the moment. I find it very interesting imagining or thinking and building stories of this is how they may think that, but I'm not attached to any of it. Mm-hmm. It's just an interest. Mm-hmm. But when I'm with people and it's like, isn't this beautiful? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we are conducting a wild process conversation mm-hmm just amazing yeah
1: sharing a moment mm,
0: sharing a moment yeah i feel that's like what we've done today yeah <laughs> i've loved this moment as well um just out of a thought from that and you mentioned young people now you've been in your role uh, counseling 15 years mm-hmm. is it a different kettle of fish uh, beast that's operating now through such strange times the covid world the lockdown we're all living in sort of this consistent way mm-hmm. for 15 plus years of what you've been doing are you having different
1: problems come through the door um ultimately not really i think yeah you know, covid was challenging for people in different ways but for some people it was quite pleasant they quite enjoyed hiding away yeah. so to make an assumption it was difficult for everyone it would be wrong but for some people certainly those living on their own it was really hard yes yeah you know, i mean really hard access to health care relatives you know fearful for, for the health of relatives the death of relatives
0: so maybe it just exposed things a little more and the polarities mm. either people are coming through with a really excitable optimistic approach oh i've been thinking this been thinking that but i've been forced a lockdown so it's given me time to think for what I actually want to do I lost a job that I hated Mm -hmm. why not go for a job that I love because Mm -hmm. if I can lose that then I can surely have a go at that and then it's brought the polarity of also yeah the darker side of what people are going through but it's just exposed it a little more and made the the discussions I don't know how to explain that but yeah just made the discussions more impactful maybe I think the thing is
1: that whatever's going on in the world that people can struggle. Yeah. And often they're struggling because of what's happened in their history. So if someone's got an issue with alcohol or cocaine or something like that, I don't see that as being the issue. It's a symptom of the issue. Mm. And you've got to try and find what it is that someone's trying to escape from.
0: That's the saying that they use in Alcoholics Anonymous is um, mm. drugs and alcohol are not the problem. They're the solution to the problem. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. mm Yeah, but you know, I don't necessarily agree entirely with their with their approach of that people have no control.
0: That's that is literally what I was alluding to earlier Mm. when I said what works works, Mm. and that man doesn't drink now, which is fantastic because it was really damaging his life. Yeah, but when we're having a certain discussion, Mm. it becomes the doctrine Mm. and the only way. Mm. And then I thought, oh
1: yeah and it's not right for everyone, you know yeah. I used to have a problem with alcohol. I used to drink far too much. I probably wasn't an alcoholic, but I was pretty close to getting to be one and had a for health reasons and others had an enforced stoppage for a while. Well, I have a glass of wine now and again now, and it's in control, but the reason it's in control is because I believed I've sorted out the emotional background that was leading to the drinking in the first place
0: yeah that that's literally where I'm at mm-hmm. um but for people that have completely shattered elements of their life to it mm. and found a protocol. It works. I'm not, I'm not I'm knocking in. that. It's absolutely yeah. in favor of that, yeah.
1: whatever works for them. And they might not have access to counseling for instance. Yes. Yeah. You know that it's one of the problems with, with counseling is, is the affordability mm. that, um, the people on low incomes don't have access to long-term therapy. I, I do sometimes do pro bono work, you know, and, mm. uh, um if it if it feels like the right thing to do but ultimately people have got to have the resources to pay for it and you know it's difficult for those working on the nh in the nhs sector that uh, they might be able to offer five or six sessions and they must have clients sometimes they feel that they need more but they can't offer it Mm. and uh, it's difficult
0: you're in a scene the counseling scene (laughs) there's uh, personal training scenes and, or whatever um is there is it easy to become a counsellor no no not at all and are there sort of red flags for people i'm just trying to what the con questions conducting towards is there's definitely for personal trainers now um not that i am one but i'm very good friends with many mm. and it is quite a saturated market because eventually you could pretty much go on Groupon, go on a course, Mm. here's my badge, Mm -hmm. come to me. And then there've been horrendous outcomes working with the wrong personal trainer because they've just given, again, like we said earlier, this one-size-fits-all plan, Mm -hmm. this is what you do for that. Mm -hmm. And then for somebody that's got, because of past, a really bad relationship with food and vision towards it then they've just starved themselves and close to death from it. Mm -hmm. And that was a personal trainer, not thinking of the psyche and Mm -hmm. just all about the, we're getting results though, let's get pictures, quick, snap, snap, snap. Um, So it's really unhealthy and unwise. Mm -hmm. How do you find a good, quote-unquote, counsellor?
1: It's it's hard because it's an sexually unregulated sector. People can call themselves a counsellor. Can they? Yeah. Yeah, there was a move a few years back to make it sort of on a professional basis that you'd have to have qualifications to be able to use the protected term, but it it, it never came up. There are ways of getting some sort of guarantee, so I'm a member of the British Associations of, of Counsellors and Psychotherapists, BACP, and they operate a register, which I'm on, for those who have demonstrated they've got the training and done whatever testing is required and then we sign up to an ethical framework which we agree to adhere to like having the supervision will be part of that uh, it's not a set of rules it's a set of principles that people have to follow like a beneficence always acting in the client's best interest non-maleficence not acting against the client's interest autonomy the so mm-hmm. things like that and applying those principles is important and it sort of also gives somewhere for people to complain to so you can get sanctioned, taken off the register and so on and so forth, lose the membership. But it's not, people aren't guaranteed to do that. Mm. Um, it was four years training for me, including sort of 200 hours of, of of supervised placement work before I did it and a lot of personal work, personal therapy required. Um, it's a tough process and a lot of people dropped out of that process during it. Oh. Uh, and it's quite economically quite difficult to achieve. I was I was fortunate enough to get some help in doing that, huh. but it can be very expensive. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's not easy, and it's not for everyone. Mm. It's all down to in the end whether you can put your own stuff to one side and plug into someone else's.
0: Hey, I, I mean, I've, I've, the camera will going going for about two and a bit hours. Uh-huh. This is fantastic, okay. but I've only allowed a certain amount of space on the platform that i uh upload to so yeah. i do need to bring it to a wrap that'll do for me yeah. but have you enjoyed it your yeah, first podcast yeah. i've absolutely i'm so happy i've met you mm-hmm. you're an awesome human would you ever do your own podcast do you think
1: i don't know if i've got anything to say
0: <laughs> i can tell you you've got two and a bit hours and I, I honestly feel for myself i could have done another two hours with you mm-hmm. i'm i'm really excited to put this one out it's going to be fantastic mm-hmm. could you just let people know that still come to this point mm-hmm. um where they can find you and everything that you do if they would love to work with you yeah well you know
1: i've got my website which is counselling derby i'll put it in the um, in the description that's, so that's the easiest point now or email, email me at, at david.eams at sky.com
0: fantastic so that's counsellingderby.co.uk yeah and david eames Eames. david.eames david.eames that's guy.com I'm going to put that in the description yeah I might be in touch (laughs) (laughs) I'll do my bit guys thank you for being here you've been a part of the old farm bus back of the bus sessions podcast I'm going to leave you on this and I always do and I always will just be nice to one another you beautiful set of buggers that's all you've got to do for me peace
3: and love